Science of Arboriculture Lecture Series. This podcast series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture to bring you the latest research-based information on tree care. We bring you full-length educational talks by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners to keep you up to date with new developments in the field of arboriculture. New podcasts are made available about once a month for download. We recommend subscribing to this series so that you don't miss a single topic. If you have a favorite arboricultural topic that you would like to learn more about, please contact Luana Vargas, the producer of this series, at the ISA headquarters in Champaign, Illinois, or me, Tom Smiley, your host for Science of Arboriculture, at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory. Today's lecture is by Dr. Ken James, who is a lecturer, researcher, and educator whose work focuses on tree dynamics and how to better evaluate and reduce the risk of tree failure. Today's lecture was presented at the Tree Biomechanics Research Week and Symposium in August 2010. And uh, thanks everybody for staying here. I know this is the last session and I have Andrew to thank for that. Ed Gilman was last, so he, I, I got the uh, short straw and I'm last. Because of that, I thought by the time I start to speak, there'll be nothing left. And in a way, a little bit of everybody else's presentation sort of comes together with mine. So I've, in a way, taken this opportunity to try and summarise it. And uh, it's been a fantastic week. I've got some thank yous at the end. If I don't get to them, thank you to Davey and the ISA. But we'll see how we go. A lot of people have referred to Carl Nicholas's work and I'd like to start with that. And really as a summary, and Jason was referring to just then, I take the view that plants, like all other organisms, cannot violate the laws of physics. But in addition to that, we've got a, had a biomechanics week and I see it as adding to our understanding of trees together with the biological environment. And I think pretty much we all agree on that and we're not ignoring the biological environment, but we are specialising in this biomechanical system. To take that a little bit further, trees are going to be stable if they're stronger than the loads they experience. So I also see this biomechanics as a little bit of a balancing act so that if the load exceeds the strength, failure occurs. From that base, I started to work with trees about 15 years ago and more formally about 10 years ago and the biggest load on the tree is the wind so that's what I concentrated on. One of the things about the wind loading is it's a dynamic load it's very evident it's a dynamic load and one of the things I'm going to talk about is the difference between the statics and the dynamics and you can see just from that quick video that the tree is not swaying as one unit we're actually getting branches swaying, one swaying in phase, and it's a very complex system. So starting with that image, that's about where I start from. When we looked at Nicholas's laws of physics, I thought, 
and I've been with the ISA now for a month writing a biomechanics course trying to sort of think about how to convey this to uh, arborists who may not have any formal training. I thought, well, what, what laws of physics are we talking about? So I centred on Newton's three laws of motion. And when I had a look at those, they very clearly delineate the difference between statics and dynamics. The first law deals with statics, the second law deals with dynamics, and the third law deals with a bit of both. So just very briefly, I thought, perhaps I'll start my presentation with Newton's first law, also known as the law of inertia. I won't read it out because of time. That comes from Wikipedia, which may or may not be a reference text. But essentially, we're dealing with equilibriums. So if an object's going to stay at rest, if everything's in equilibrium, if it's not, it's going to move, so I'll have to get on to the second law. Or if it's already in motion, it's going to stay in motion. That can be written as an equation, which is technically not Newton's, but it's uh, Robert Hooke, a contemporary. F equals kx. So the force on something is proportional to its displacement. That proportionality is k. If I drew a model, why do engineers use models down the bottom? What's that meant to mean? It's meant to communicate that equation. So what's happening there is the force, if we stretch something or compress it, in this case we're pulling it, that's, we represent that as a spring and it has a displacement. So there's the f of the equation, there's the displacement and we get the x. Why do engineers always use graphs? And you've seen lots and lots of graphs today. It's just to really show you what's happening in another way and describe the mathematics and to look at the slope. So k is the slope. So k is the material property. So that very clearly defines the static system. When we go outside that linear system, we get to non-linearity, plastic failure. There's a lot in that and that's the statics. What we're dealing with over here is things in equilibrium, not moving. We're dealing with stiffness, but notice there's no mass. That little black dot on the end of the spring is not a mass. It's just a black dot so that it's like a carabiner or something where you can connect, it's a connector. Now you might say mass should be taken into account, um, a leaning tree or something, such as the mass. I'm thinking, how can I describe this to you? You're all sitting on your seat you have mass. The mass of you sitting on the seat on the earth under gravitational field is actually a force. So even you sitting on the seat, the mass is taken into account in statics by becoming a force. The second law states that an applied force on an object will equal its rate of change of momentum in brackets acceleration. That's an interesting discussion which we won't have to go into now but the classic equation is F equals MA. So if you put a force on a mass, it accelerates. That's the, the most simplest form. So this is describing dynamics. That model can now be represented as the same spring attached to a fixed object, a wall. Now we do have a mass, and as that moves, we have a damper. If we represented its displacement in time, we get this uh, backwards and forwards motion, some motions happening and that decreases with time. The energy gets used up somehow. That exponential decay is the damping and that's what I've been following because that's how is the energy used up. So in dynamics we want to know what things do and what their response are but in trees particularly we want to know where the energy goes. 
So in dynamics, we're dealing with mass, motion, acceleration, and damping, which is energy dissipation. Now this slide is simply putting those previous two together side by side. What's in statics, what's in dynamics, what's not in one and what's in the other. So you can clearly see that the same spring is in the two. So dynamics doesn't contradict statics or the vice versa. It works together, it's part of it. The, there is a mass, we do have a force. I put a T with the force because we're varying the force with time. The displacement varies with um, time also, that's it. so x brackets t is a function of time, and we have a damper. We have something represented there to use up the energy. So if I just do a list, one, two, three, I've got force, spring, displacement on statics. I use the same list, one, force, yes, spring, yes, displacement, yes. We now have mass. Now in this case, mass we're dealing with inertial forces. If a, something's moving, it continues to move and creates an inertial force which didn't have. I could draw an analogy of driving along in your car, everything's quite stable, we're in equilibrium, we suddenly turn a corner, we tend to go in a straight line and the car turns. That's an inertial force. And finally we have C damping. So that equation F equals MA, if we include all of those things, X double dot is a shorthand version of writing acceleration, x dot is a velocity, uh, x is the displacement. So we have inertial forces, damping forces and spring forces in dynamics. In statics we just have the spring force. So that clearly defines we're looking for inertial forces and damping forces that are in dynamics and not in statics. So that defines the difference between statics and dynamics, not quite. Once we get into dynamics, we have to split dynamics in two. So this next slide is a bit of an extension of the dynamics side. With dynamics, we have systems that are fairly simple and go backwards and forwards in, uh, and only have one option. That's called a single degree of freedom system and they resonate. So we get resonance occurring. So a small force at the same frequency, we get resonance. A violin string, a guitar string resonates. We can also look at more complex systems where on that mass we have oscillating masses on oscillating masses. So once we get more than one mass, we get a multi-degree of freedom system. And in those systems we have dramatic reduction in amplitude, a huge amount of damping due to that oscillating mass, known as mass dampers. And this uh, illustration is meant to show the damping with frequency. They've seen a couple of curves from different people on that. That's a single degree of freedom system. Once we get to two degree of freedom system is the dotted line, a multi degree of freedom, and that's actually the transfer function, which is the spectrum of a tree in winds, showing the many branches and the complex damping that goes on. I can clearly say that with trees we do not get resonance. So trees are multi-degree of freedom systems. Let me look at two masses before we go on to many masses. Once we get with dynamics and two masses, we get two solutions. Now this is quite important. We don't get a right solution and a wrong solution. We get two solutions. So the two masses can move together, as, as they're doing the top line, or they can move apart. Both will happen. So they're known as modes. So with two masses, we can get two solutions. If I had to translate that model 
to a tree model, I've tried to do that with two branches. So I'm known for doing dances on stage. I could sway as two branches like this, or as I could sway like that. Both are correct. Now in branches, we're going to go backwards and forwards. I didn't have time in my presentation to put this, but one of the things nobody, a couple of people mentioned, nobody's working on, is torsion. Torsional forces could be important also. We haven't quite got there yet, so we've got a bit more to go. So I don't expect people believe me, and I usually go to the tree, and this is a video which I've shown before of branches swaying in the, in the, in the wind. On the left, oops, I'm hitting these. On the left is real time, and I got sick of watching that. I accidentally hit the button and played it in fast forward, and you can begin to see that we're not getting the whole canopy moving, but we are getting individual masses of branches moving. So that's exactly the same footage, just shown at different speeds. So that's a visual interpretation of what I've been talking about. There is what I can say from that, from my data we're measuring over about five years and hundreds and hundreds of hours on about 12 different trees, so my replication is in time rather than on many trees, is that we do not get any harmonic motion occurring on trees. Now what I've done, and this is, I've passed this by a few people, what I've tried to do is make a map of all that and put it on one page. So that looks very complex, but it's actually just taking what I've my previous five or six slides into one. And I've called this a biomechanics map to try and sort of put where is each of the experiments from this week sitting? Where can we put that? So if we're working in statics, we're working with um, this equation, we're working with forces and extension and spring forces or material properties and this graph. So this is the statics column. If we're working with dynamics, are we working with a single degree of freedom or a multi-degree of freedom system? If we're working with a single degree of freedom system, we're coming down this line. By the way, most of the mathematics and analysis are single degree of freedom systems. The other is not yet fully developed. If we're working with multi-degree of freedom systems, we're working down that line and we get this sort of response, which is a heavily damped response and very unlikely to get any resonance if not being impossible. So if I then take that, that map, I couldn't fit all this, in the, all this on one page, but it, so I repeat the top line, and then try and put the trees on it. So I thought, okay, that's all the maths and the modelling. Let's see if I can put the trees on it. My take on this, now this is open for discussion, there'll be a lot of discussion on this, is when we're dealing with stiffness-dominated response in a structure, and that's how I look at it, What's that mean? That means big trees where the mass of the trees is dominant. So we've got huge forest trees. And I would say a lot of the work previously published, such as taking wind, drawing a diagram, and having an arrow on the top, that is a static analysis. And there's a lot of static analysis. Large trees are stiffness dominated and that would be quite appropriate to do. So we're getting the material properties, that's a good thing to do. When we look at dynamics, in single degree of freedom system, that might be a pole or a plantation of trees. Single degree of freedom system where it does actually follow the single degree of freedom system mathematics or possibly a wind tunnel or the wind tunnel could in fact be considered as a steady state or quasi-static system 
I could have put that over in the static where we might sort of get the drag coefficient as one number. It's in a drag dominated or stiffness dominated area. The multi degree of freedom systems come when we have the main structure and many, many branches. So once we've got many, many branches and branch masses operating, we get a multi degree of freedom system. And I would argue with the open grown trees or the urban forestry where we're dealing with open grown trees and large masses of branches that we're dealing in this area and we're dealing with multi-degree of freedom systems. Now one of the people who's done most work in this is Mark Rodnicki who's done the work, that's the wind tunnel image and I knew he'd be in the front frowning at me so what I've done is I've looked at this is sort of a blow-up of those trees. Let's have a look at these trees. Now, in a lot of the scientific papers, you don't get an image. So this is an image of those trees. This is a small tree in a wind tunnel. This is a plantation tree planted, planted at 6,000 stems per hectare, uh, or per acre, or whatever. Um, Height-diameter ratios, slenderness ratios, up around about 160 is a maximum. Uh, maybe 80. We were dealing on a tree out at David 72 to 1. These are urban trees that I mainly deal with and these are the forest giants and I've roughly scaled them, yeah they're not in proportion but I've roughly tried to say in the scale of those things. And we've mentioned allometry a couple of times. Small trees are not mirror image of large trees. If we divide the height by the diameter of a person, we get a slenderness ratio. That's what this scale is. It's the same thing. An immature human, divide height diameter versus a mature human, you can see that the proportions in nature of a human change as the uh, structure gets older. That's how I describing that. I'm describing that from an allometric point of view. The relationship of the head to the rest of the body changes as you get older. That also happens with trees and that's what that allometric change is. The message I'm trying to give is old is not a scaled up version of young. If we look at some of the trees and this again is taking an image of the trees and putting it on a scale the trees in my study consist of A, B, C, D and E, hoop pine and all that. The tallest tree in the world, let's not have that argument, this comes out of uh, uh, Nicholas, so that's a reference. I can put numbers from a reference, so it's not me saying that. So let's take the sequoia. And Mark Rodnicki's work on lodgepole pines from 2001, uh, about 10 to 15 metres. So that's the scale of those trees in height. If we now divide the height by the di diameter, so I take exactly the same data, but I redraw it as slenderness ratios, we get this. So urban trees are considered to be unstable about 50, and that reference comes from Mathic. Um, the sequoia, notice the sequoia is under 15. Tallest tree in the world, very, very stable. And the lodgepole pines from the 2001 study of Mark are up around above 100 and the maximum I think I got was 160. 
Now that's not saying these, this work is not valid, it's not even making a criticism or a comment, it's just saying that's what they are. In the dynamic response of those things, we get dramatic difference. That's what I'm trying to say. If we go into wind tunnels, we're dealing with steady state systems, effectively static, uniform flows. Now that's not always the case. I know there's exceptions to this such as when we're looking at vortex shedding and we do get dynamic. So it's, it's a generalisation. But when it's been applied to trees, this is an image taken off the 2003 Karlsruhe International Conference on Wind and Trees. So that's how they're representing it. And this is a, a tree that obviously has grown in equilibrium with its environment in a very windy environment. So that does happen. But it's dealing with small trees, steady-state systems, in equilibrium with its environment, drag coefficients are quoted, there's little dynamic response and certainly no contribution from branches. So, uh, but we can have dynamics and eddies. Can we scale that up? Can we scale that information up and use it in all cases? That's my question. So certainly not a criticism. Let's have a look at plantation trees. That's what they look like. They are grown for poles, they're grown for timber. What's not there? This has taken me many years, it's so simple, it's taken me many years to phrase it, and that's probably a comment on me. What's not there are branches. So these are dynamic oscillators. These approximate a single degree of freedom system. These are the urban trees that I've looked at, and that image comes out of um, Athenian Clark's work. And these are the giant trees, and that's General Grant, and that's the data if you want to work through it, and it comes out at 10.5 from Nicholas. Whether they're right or not, I don't know. It, you know, things change. But anyway, there we go. If we look at Mount Nash, and we've got Sydney for 2011 conference, come down and see our giant trees. There's a giant eucalyptus regnans, height diameter ratio of this. 81 metre giant, 260 feet giant is 12.5, similar stability. This is an angiosperm, the sequoia is a gymnosperm. Have a look at the branches. Not much branch dynamics in that. It's all mass in the trunk. It's stiffness dominated. Single, either static or a single degree of freedom system. Now I look at species. You take two seeds from a tree and plant one in a forest and one in an open grown. Monterey pine versus Pinus radiata, exactly the same species, same tree. Two seeds could be taken, one grown in the open, one grown in a plantation. Are we talking about species difference or wood difference? I'm suggesting that we're talking about form and the branching is dominating the dynamic response. That's what my data is telling me. And certainly the mass damping from branches when the branch mass is significant is dominating the response of urban open grown trees. And that is not true in a plantation. So the techniques, the methodology is different from one to the other, except we're dealing with the same species. So perhaps this also provides an explanation of why a lot of the work done in forestry has not translated across to the open grown or the urban, the single tree. We're dealing with probably different structural forms and different response mechanisms. So what happens with the mass damping is the oscillating mass on the oscillating mass dampens the response dramatically. This is a model I've presented and basically we're adding branches on branches on branches and I think it reiterates through the tree. 
I don't want to repeat this, but I can give you an example of, this is a much shown video I know, but when we take away the mass damping of the tree, we end up with a dynamic oscillator and it can have important contributions to felling trees and the dynamics. If the energy isn't used up, it can be very dangerous. And that really was what I was trying to show with my work this week. So I'm looking at the time and I hope I get onto some results. And that's an Australian example, and just to show you that it's not confined to Australia, this is an example from uh, the United States where we're cutting off a tree and the dynamic energy goes back in. We don't use up the energy. There's no damping. All the damping's gone. Where's it? Why is it gone? It's because the branches have been removed. The other thing is I've been saying this for about five years and in engineering the tuned mass dampers have become quite common in engineering. I did some homework for tonight's presentation or this afternoon's presentation, I was quite surprised how much I could find. Uh, one of the tallest buildings in the world, Taipei 101, has a 730 tonne steel ball in the top of the building. Instead of it swaying from side to side in the winds and in an earthquake, the mass damper minimises its sway. So that's the proportion of the ball to the building. So in proportion to the building, it's very small. Mass dampers are now being commonly put on large buildings. This is in Shanghai, the World Financial Centre. This is only a quick grab off the internet, so I don't know the details of it. That walkway over the Grand Canyon, to stop it vibrating with people and in winds, has a tuned mass damper on it to take out that energy and stop it uh, vibrating. So this tuned mass damper is becoming quite commonly used in engineering and structural terms. And this is one Rincon Hill, I think this is in San Francisco, this is another tall building being built and they're putting a, what's called a slosh damper or a half full water tank up there and that up in the top of the building and that's a cheap way of providing that energy being used up. So there's some interesting simple ways of using up energy in buildings um, to stop them oscillating in earthquakes and in wind. It's becoming quite common. So that's what I was trying to do with my experiment looking at the trees of the Davy. I tried to look for the tree that was had the most branching. So in a way I was a little bit disappointed I couldn't find more of it so I chose this one. And what I did is I progressed, I put my instruments on the base of the tree and um, thanks to Tim who would, our climbs, Tim here, Thank you, Tim. So Tim was wonderful in helping us on the first day. We're putting accelerometers up the tree and with our instrumentation, and thanks to Tony down the bottom, uh, we started with the tree like that and we progressively cut off one branch, two branches, three branches, and the last branch. And even I wanted a, the last little leaves cut off systematically because it all starts happening there. And I was explaining to the bucket guys, and they said, oh, they went, which branch was it, this one or that one? Oh, you mean the fuzzy bits. So technically, yeah, we, we left a few fuzzy bits off, then we took all those off. And finally, even a mass, we left a small sub-branch off, and that dramatically alters the, the um, oscillation and damping. And we finally ended up with a pole, which is what visitors saw yesterday, and we pulled. And just very quickly, thanks now, Thanks to my helpers for the videos, but can I just say, next time you take a video, don't turn your camera sideways because...
everyone's got to go this way. We can't, we can't twist them around. So what we tried to do, and you'll have to, but in a way it's good being sideways because this applies to branches as well. We're, what we're looking for is what's called the first mode of sway. And that white line there, so I was just drawing up the back so it's not really good, but what we're trying to see is the branch swaying in this direction. So here's a video, and thanks to Andreas and uh, Tony for this. So we're pulling, and I'm getting tired, but you can see towards the end, if we pull in the right way, we've lost all the damping. With not much force, we can hit huge sways up. We pull a bit more each time. And that's known as a, the first harmonic sway. We say for a small force, we get a big sway. Why? Because we've removed the damping. It's important to realise that those branches are major contributors to using up energy, especially in felling situations. And uh, thank you to John Hendrickson for just that anecdote of what happened 18 years ago and there were some unfortunate climbing accidents. Because an understanding of this is part of biomechanics. We've looked at trees and tree failure, but I think there's a lot more in rigging. I know Andreas Dett has done a lot of work with rigging. So biomechanics is crossing a lot more boundaries, and especially in this dynamics. I think it's a fertile field for some more work. In addition, so dynamics, see up the top, number one. What I'm going to try and do is now demonstrate that we can change things with dynamics. And maybe we can get different sways if we excite this object differently. And I'm sure this happens in uh, dismantling or rigging or felling or whatever you like to call it. And what's important here is to realise, and my research which I'm publishing clearly shows, this never happens in nature. So if you're felling a tree and the tree has only experienced that first mode in nature, it's quite possible somewhere down in the trunk there's a point of weakness that is never loaded, so it's not failed. But you fell a tree and this second mode can be excited and it puts a, a loading in a part of the tree that it's never experienced in its lifetime and if it's weak through decay or hollowness, that point of weakness can be loaded in the second mode to a point of catastrophic failure and if a climb is above it, it will have disastrous uh, results. So here I'm loading and what I'm trying to do is show this sort of sway, I'm not sure quite, it's a second mode, and it takes very little force to do this. So you can see that isn't the same as the first mode of sway. So what's happening here, we've taken the damping away from the tree, and it's quite possible with dynamics we get some really unusual forces. So what we've left with here is a complex sway. The forces on, trunk are in, on the trunk are induced, in this case not from the wind. And biomechanics is really important also in rigging, climbing, felling, a lot more than what we've discussed today. When we look at damping, this is, I've done some preliminary work on the data. I wanted to know what's the contribution of each branch and the whole tree, and then as we remove it, how do we get it? So I use an equation down here which we don't have to worry about, but I've drawn a, I've written a computer program. In the background in grey is the data that I get out of my instruments, and I fit the theoretical curve here, so I can get the natural frequency in the damping, and that's how the tree dissipates the energy. So I can measure quite quickly 
what the damping is of the tree and I'll have to process the data. I haven't done that yet so I don't know the answer. I also would like to thank the Yukon team because having wrecked one tree I was looking for another tree to go and wreck and they were already working on one and they're doing a lot of really interesting work of looking at that movement up the top. My work is down the bottom and I'd say that was a very good example of how coming together this week has allowed me to get more data and hopefully them to get more data and interact and really thanks to Dave in the biomechanics people and the ISA for putting this together because I see this as a very good fit of two teams working on the same issue from sort of different directions and hopefully we can uh, share our data and this could be some fertile ground. So that's looking up the tree and uh, that shows my instruments on the base and their instruments are up the top. So I think we're, we're beginning to get some pretty sophisticated equipment to see exactly what's going on. However, the answer is predetermined by the tree and this tree has a height diameter ratio of 72 to 1. So I would say that pretty clearly shows, now this is the reason I took the image, and I'm happy to give it to you guys, I'll, sh I'll sh send it over by email. Not for the people, but for the trees in the background. Have a look at the trees in the background. This is the Davy site. So the Davy trees, I would say, are in the forest category. Can we take the information from today and simply use it in the urban open grown trees? Now with the static case, yes, that's a clear answer. In the dynamics case, we have to be careful. Okay, so we have to, to look at that and see if they single degree of freedom or multi degree of freedom. So thank you to Tony. Tony's been, Tony's from Spain, he's uh, been a wonderful help. So that's, I got him whitewashing the fence out at Hannibal where Mark Twain wrote Tom Sawyer. We had a visiting there one day, so thank you Tony, it's been a wonderful help. Uh, also, just to remind people that Spain won the World Cup, so. <laughs> And also thank you to Davey, uh, the Tree Fund, who have supported some of my research over the years. The ISA, I'd like to publicly give a very big thank you to Sharon Nilly, who persuaded me to come because I, I really wasn't able to come without her support and encouragement, I wouldn't have come. Tony Luana has been very helpful with getting me on track with uh, some of the biomechanics ideas and uh, keeping me on track with some of the educational things. Uh, Andrew's been very good with organising me, putting me on last, thank you Andrew, and uh, Tim Brown. <laughs> so um, I'm just about finished on time, so thank you again, I've enjoyed my time, and any questions? That concludes Dr. Ken James' presentation on dynamic versus static loading in trees and the need to understand the factors that affect trees' strength and stability. If you'd like to learn more about tree risk and tree loading, you can find additional materials at the ISA website, including Trees and Risk Proceedings, a DVD proceedings of a tree risk symposium. And if you'd like to receive CEUs for today's talk, the code for this lecture is SA1332. Again, SA1332. If you have other topics that you'd like us to provide podcasts for, please feel free to contact Luana Vargas at the ISA office or me, Tom Smiley, at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory.
And remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture. Trees in every country. Trees, you know we can. Work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA.